Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 162 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In our last episode, we discussed the return of ad blockers. We also talked about Tom's new Windows Surface book, and that started us thinking about hybrid computers where you can use both keyboards and touch. Might we be seeing the beginning of the end of the keyboarding era? Tom, what's on our agenda for this episode? Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report, we'll speculate on whether the pen, or maybe even the finger, is mightier than the keyboard. In our second segment, we'll talk about the new Apple TV and its competitors. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can start to use the second this podcast is over. But first, let's talk about keyboards, pens, styli, and other ways that we have to uh, input data these days. When the, um, when the iPad came out five years ago, uh, many people said we were entering the post-PC era. I did. I talked about that in, in presentations all the time. As people began to use more touch devices than laptops and desktops, we thought they were going to start to go away. Uh, that really hasn't happened. Uh, all, I think mobile phone use is through the roof. People are using their mobile devices, but they're small mobile devices. I don't think we've seen a true move to the post-PC era. Um, I, I still prefer my Surface Book with the option of a keyboard to my iPad, at least when it comes to being productive and, and using uh, a device for work. Still, though, I think we've been moving further away from the keyboard over the past few years, and I think the Surface Pro and the iPad Pros are just more evidence of where we might be headed. Dennis, what what got you interested in this topic? Well, I mean, it, it was the the little bit of conversation we had in the last podcast, and that sort of stemmed from some observations I had of a couple of friends of ours who are using Windows laptops with touch screens, and and I watched them use it, um, and ergonomically it was appalling to me, but it was also <laughs> I could I could see how for certain things the the ability to touch the screen is really a good thing. And then with my new MacBook, my wife came up and wanted to do something and she reached onto the screen to try to do something and, and she couldn't. So there is that sort of, that notion of the hybrid device I, I think is is really attractive and, and it's becoming part of the expectation. And then I think with you know the conversation about the Surface Book where it's integrated um, w- with my iPad, I bought, the uh, you know a, a keyboard to use, which I basically don't use. Um, so and I find that more and more uh, it's the the different types of input are really helpful to me, and I don't feel the need to to keyboard all, all the time. So I mean, Tom, you you now have another few weeks on the on your Surface Book. I mean, what are you finding about that sort of hybrid sense of of both touch and keyboard? So this is actually started for me a while back, and and it came to uh, an interesting light. Uh, I think it was last week. Last week, I was listening to MacBreak Weekly on the Twit Network, which is is a it, it, we we love all the podcasts that they have out there. But uh, MacBreak Weekly talks about Apple and Mac 
And one of the guests uh, actually said that a Surface Brook and a Surface Pro, the way that they were designed, were, quote, just not normal, apparently because people were not meant to touch the screen of a, of a, of a device that also has a keyboard. Um, Leo Laporte, the host of the show, pushed back at that idea, and I pushed back too because I think that starting with the Surface Pro, which I used to have, now moving to the Surface Book, I am finding that the way that I use my keyboard has changed. I, I, more accurately, maybe I should say that the way that I use a mouse or a trackpad has changed. Uh, uh, when I'm reviewing something, I find myself frequently moving to the screen to scroll rather than to go to the trackpad uh, uh, to position my mouse somewhere. It's just more convenient for me to uh, use my finger on the screen to move down. I, I just started doing it. It was. I think it has to do a lot with my my use of the iPad and what and what I'm used to with touchscreens. Now it's second nature on the on the Surface Book. It, but but you say you, that your wife goes and does the same thing with a MacBook. I think we're seeing that with, with kids, with kids who are, have been given a, 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 a smartphone or a tablet and they like the touchscreen and they automatically assume that everything is going to have that ease of, of, of interactivity that you can get to it. And for me, that's exactly how it was. So I don't think it's not, not normal at all. I think that it's kind of a natural evolution uh, of how people, uh, how people use it. Although I think we're going to talk here in a little bit about the limitations of keyboarding and, and and those types of things, but uh, but for me, it's really been a natural progression. Well, and then you also, I always say, like, what what's so darn normal about a QWERTY keyboard anyway? Like, why why have we decided that's the normal way that we should interact with the device? I mean, it's from the typewriter days. It was designed as a way to slow fast typists down, um, and so I, I think the notion that keyboarding is is the way that you interact with a computing device, I think, has always been open to question, and I I, I think because we never had more choices that really work well now uh, that that's i think brought it into into the forefront and and you also see even in the keyboarding area I, I think people can now gravitate to keyboards that make more sense to them. And so there's there are real keyboards and there are virtual keyboards. I was talking to somebody who said that they replaced uh, computers, old computers in an office, and the big concern was that, and they were very old computers, the real concerns of the people who've been there for a long time is they wanted their old big, you know, <laughs> keyboards that like had, you know, like a response and clicked and, and did all of that. And I want just the opposite. I love this this keyboard on, on my MacBook, which, you know, the keys hardly move at all and it, it doesn't have the same type of response. And and I think that so you have people who who grew up as uh, touch typists and they're very fast and, you know, so they want certain types of things. There's virtual keyboards. I mean, the way we type on an iPad or a tablet is different than we, we would with a, a keyboard. I'm sort of, to me, I'm at this point, I'm sort of like, hey, whatever keyboard in, is in front of me is fine, but I'm not a great typist. And so I'd like alternatives, uh, you know, to the keyboard. And so I, I think there's that one aspect. I'm not sure that the keyboard is all that normal. And as you're right, when you look at kids, man, they go right to gestures uh, on devices. And it's hard for me to imagine that somebody who starts at the age of two with gestures is going to have an easy transition to keyboards, you know, sometime in the future. Well, so let me, if I, I'm, I'm not here to defend the keyboard necessarily, but I do want to point out that, that I, I think there are so many articles out there about 
trying to get you to use your keyboard more, uh, that keyboard shortcuts uh, to make it easier to work. So the idea is that your hands don't have to leave the keyboard very often. And, and I see many articles about how it's, it's hard to be productive uh, when you're constantly having to reach up and move your mouse or put the touch screen that if you can just do a quick keyboard shortcut, then you can actually be a lot more productive. So that this discussion that we're having sort of flies in the face of that general wisdom, I think, of, of keeping your hands on the keyboard. I, I sort of see this movement away from the keyboard as benefiting the people who don't use shortcuts, who don't rely on the keyboard as much. But then then when we talk about, you, you say that we're moving away from the keyboard, and here goes BlackBerry, and they, they released the BlackBerry Priv within the last week. Um, it's an it's a, it's a, it's a Android phone, but it has a slide-out keyboard like BlackBerry users are supposed to be using. And frankly, it's, I'm, I've, heard, I've heard kind of the gamut from not great reviews to this is the, one of the best BlackBerry slash Android phones that you could ever get. Um, but I, I would say that if there's a movement away from keyboards, I still don't think everybody is doing the moving. No, I mean, I, I, that's why I say we're at the beginning of something. And your, your point about keyboard short cuts is actually a great one because I find now I use keyboard shortcuts more than ever before. So I think I used to use more mouse, right click. Now I have like a a, a group of keyboard sh- shortcuts and I'm looking for more ways to get more bang for the buck with what I use the keyboard for. And so I, now I'm looking at more macro, ma- what I'll call macros from the old days, but sort of what can I do on a keyboard that will trigger a result I want in the shortest time, sort of the easiest way. And, and I think we struggle a bit with key, with the keyboard shortcuts because when you say all you need to do is a Control-Shift-T to do something, it's it never does seem that easy. But I would say now I may have 12, 15 or more keyboard shortcuts that I use on a regular basis where maybe five, six years ago, I might have only been using a couple, you know, I mean, literally a, a, a couple of them. So I think that I would say we're at the beginning of the keyboarding thing and then also more you know, more evidence of that personalization thing that we talk about where you say, oh, wait, there's, there's a bunch of different ways to input data or text or commands into, into a computing device and a keyboard for might be the right thing for some things. It might be always the right thing for some people. And for other people, it might be something that you can almost dispense with. Well, and to answer one of the questions I think you had a second ago, which is, do you have to be a good typist? to use a keyboard, I think we're finding that more and more, you don't have to be a good typist. I mean, certainly people who don't type very fast may be wanting to gravitate towards voice recognition, which I think we'll talk about here in a little bit. But for those who do type reasonably fast, but just not reasonably well, I think that technology has made it so much easier to be a, it's, 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 I think it's less important to be a good typist these days and more important to be a good proofreader uh, because autocorrect, no matter what format you're in, really makes most of our typing free of misspelling for the most part, but not necessarily putting the right words in. And that's why paying attention, I think, is, is important. I will say that on my Android device, I use SwiftKey on my phone to, to 
to swipe out words using the keyboard, and, and it's really accurate how it gets what I'm swiping, as well as predicting the next couple of words that I want to say. And so I, I very rarely will actually be typing something out using a phone keyboard. Um, I found that swiping that information is a, a lot more efficient, gets things done a lot faster, and so I kind of like the way that, that technology is heading in the direction with keyboards so that, so that you're able to, uh, it, it forgives against your ability to use a keyboard uh, and helps out those who are uh, less adept. I guess is the way to put it. And that prediction feature, I think, is great because on the phones, it makes such a big difference, and it's gotten so much better that uh, it's surprising how, you know, sometimes you can go and almost get the whole sentence in just from the suggested words, you know, and it's pretty amazing. It's really helpful. And then when I go back to what I'll call a regular computer, I'm I'm wishing it would be suggesting the words. So yep. I didn't have yep. I didn't have to t- <laughs> I didn't have to type them. And so what I find on email is that I'm going more to this, especially on a phone, uh, in texting, definitely. Uh, I'm going more toward voice, uh, which I think is great. The voice, you know, to voice instant messages um, on an Apple Watch is pretty darn cool, and it, it works really well. The predictive typing is also great. And then I get around the, you know, definitely the issues you have with a with a small keyboard. And so I think that, and then also on, on the watch, and I think elsewhere, there's suggested responses. So you can also just say, oh, this, yeah, all I want to do here is, is say good or okay or see you there, that sort of thing. And boom, I just pick that and I'm done. Um, then we're just, we're eliminating some of the issues, the, you know, the chance to introduce typos, all those sorts of things. And it's, it's these sort of minor, ultimately they're very minor savings, but it seems like they make a ton of difference and and make you feel that you may not necessarily need that that keyboard as the primary, uh, you know, input device anymore. Yeah, no, it definitely makes. I think it definitely makes a, a big difference. I think that a lot of people are still using tools like Dragon Dictation, uh, just to name one. That that people are using voice recognition tools. I know some of our good friends use it. People who generally aren't very good at typing, or they've got a lot of stuff that they need to set down in text and typing just slows things down. I, I, I think with the rise of tools like the Amazon Echo with Siri and, and, and the ability to, to, to hear your voice, I think that speech recognition has improved to the extent that these tools are really just going to get better. It's going to be better and they're going to be more accurate and more powerful. I'm still not sure I see a huge growth market in voice dictation. I may be wrong about that. Maybe tools like the Echo uh, kind of are, are for telling that we're going to start using our voice a whole lot more um, but I, I don't just I just don't see in terms of legal technology seminars I don't see a ton of sessions on how to use voice dictation uh, it just doesn't seem to be one of the hot topics for me um, I, 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 I don't know about you well I, I still think people are looking at dictation for the sort of perfect you know uh, sort of transcription approach and, and right. I don't I don't know that that's still realistic I mean I think it's very good right now what speech to me is really interesting for is commands and actions and simple responses mm-hmm. you know dictating a quick answer to an email that gets it you know pretty much gets it uh, on the first try 
is great. But if I say I'm going to, you know, I have to write a, you know, 2,500 word article, so I'm going to dictate it. I still think that probably by the time I clean that up, it would be easier for me to just type that yeah. rather than dictate it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so so I, I think there's that. And, and if you say, if you're talking to lawyers and you're saying, here's something that could be really helpful to you. I don't know that you'd ever do a whole session on, on voice recognition anymore. But I could see that you would say, as part of some productivity improvements, this is something to consider. I think I think you can give some examples where where it becomes really interesting. Um, so so there is the speech thing, and I, I think we'll see more of that. Again, I th- think in a, in some ways, I mean, speech recognition has been around forever, but I think we're sort of in a new phase of it, and, and quite interesting one. And how it it works in combination with other things is mm-hmm. is great. Yep. And then then I also think that. You, you know, as, whether you want to call it macros or automated text or whatever, that um, I think I'm a good typist, but I, I'm certainly not a fast typist. But, but I know that, that if I can do certain things where I say, you know, put the salutation in, put the closing in, put the paragraph about this in, that and that, that triggers the input of text just by that, I know there's nobody who can type that that text in faster than it going in automatically, you know, when it's already been pre-prepared. So I, I think that that combination of voice was sort of uh, to insert pre-done, you know, uh, uh, sections of text and letters and, and formatting and things like that, I, I think is a, is another interesting area. So that's, I sort of see it's, speech as a helper where it becomes most interesting rather than speech as the primary vehicle. So we've been talking about voice. We've been talking about keyboards. Let's um, switch gears. Let's talk about the stylus or the pencil as Apple is calling theirs, or maybe I should just say pencil. Uh, Dennis, do you use a stylus at all uh, when working with a tablet? Um, I really don't right now, but I wish I did whenever somebody asked me to sign something. And I also see when when I would want to draw say using OneNote or something like that, that's where I think the the stylus or pencil would be great. Back, you know, uh, what seems like years and years ago, when I used an HP tablet PC, I really liked using a, a stylus. I thought it was I thought it was great for a lot of purposes. Um, I don't use a stylus now. If I went to the iPad Pro, that that new pencil is interesting and I'm also interested Tom, I know because you've used stylus on iPads probably more than anybody I know. You're always oh, I don't know about re- that. You're always reviewing some new one that you're that you're trying. Um, I think the trouble my my thing with the stylus is I think it's potentially uh, really interesting. I think it's great to do markup in the sense of editing and redlining and making changes. I think it's great to do mind mapping, drawing those sorts of things. I. I think that that my issue always with the stylus is, you know, how comfortable is it to use and how easy is it to lose? 
I'm not really a huge stylus user either, but but I really wanted to be. I mean, when the iPad first came out, I saw it as a replacement for the legal pad. I was really looking forward to using it for writing. Um, that's something that I really like to do, but it really doesn't work out that way for me. One, because I'm not a very good writer. I'm really a much better typist. Um, but I also didn't really like the different styli that I tried. They were mushy. They feel a little bit like writing with a crayon. They experience just wasn't all that enjoyable to me. What is interesting, though, is that the new devices that are coming out really feel like you're using a real pen or a pencil. They they tend to be more precise. They tend to use more technology. So they're using thousands of touch points. So it really interacts with the screen that you're touching. I think the, the Apple Pencil, um, the Surface Styli, are getting really good reviews. I, I find it actually kind of amusing that one of the best features of the Surface Stylus is that the tip of it is an eraser, and Apple's Pencil doesn't even have an eraser, but I, I digress. The The use case for the stylus for me is a little different because, like I said, I'm not a good writer. I, I type much faster. It's easier for me to get things down if I'm typing. Um, where I find writing comes in handy is when I'm really trying to listen to someone. I, I think it's so much less distracting to be writing with a stylus than clacking away on, on a keyboard with my eyes off and down. It, it helps you to pay attention when you're writing. With a keyboard, I, I sometimes have to pay attention to hitting the right keys, um, and I think writing takes uh, takes that pressure off. I've been able to make some take some great, I think, handwritten notes in OneNote, which I think is a great feature, but I, I will say that another advantage that the Surface has over the iPad is that you can actually use a stylus in any app. Uh, it doesn't matter which app you use, and it will convert your handwriting to text. Uh, it's just that handwriting is just another keyboard. You can select the handwriting box as a keyboard, uh, and then you write in that, and it automatically converts your handwriting to text. Uh, the iPad really can't offer that kind of flexibility because uh, it, it's pretty much on an app-by-app -app basis where the Surface is a computer, so it allows that feature on an operating system basis. Yeah, and I would, that combination of one, one note with a stylus to, for taking notes, I, I think is just an amazing combination for everybody. I mean, just for anybody. I, I totally agree. So I think all of these things are sort of physical approaches. And, and I've been reading a bit more and doing a little bit of experimenting with uh, what's known as the accessibility features in programs and on computers. And so these are the things that are, uh, you know, designed to help people who have, you know, some some kind of inability to do something. So, you know, people can't hear, people people are blind, people have other issues. And, and some of these features are built into uh, different programs and devices and into the operating system. You know, I've read a number of articles about poking around in there. And, and I, there, when you think about it is, you know, there are features designed to enable people to do things who don't really have the ability to do it in the, then what I'll call the usual way with the keyboard or something. And some of the tools in there, I think are potentially really interesting uh, for, you know, the rest of us to explore. And so that 
I mean, I, I don't know that I have a, a great example because I'm just sort of, you, you know, taking a look at it now. But I, I just think that kind of poking around in there in, in those sets of features, you may find some things. We, we learned this with, uh, I mean, I learned this early on with OneNote uh, being left-handed. You can set up, to, you know, to so that uh, it favors left-handed uh, people. The Apple Watch also do that where you can you can set it up to wear on, on either wrist. So there, there are a number of things in there that um, they might seem small, and in other cases, it may, they might seem really significant, but you can make adjustments to, to, to I think, really make your approach to all of this a, a whole lot easier. Well, there are, I think, a number of really useful accessibility features that really anybody can enable. You can invert the screen so that the background is dark and the text is light. If um, if reading on a, on a white background hurts your eyes, um, you can have the text on basically any screen in any app read to you. Uh, you can also configure autocorrect so that it reads out text corrections, which I think is really useful, especially if it's autocorrecting to embarrassing terms. There's a lot in there if you go exploring. Um, I'm actually quite enthused by a lot of this, and, and especially that accessibility uh, piece and also the ability to personalize to what it is that, that I do better or you do better. So for me, it, the more I can move away, uh, you know, to, to kind of accommodate my sort of less than stellar typing skills with something that works better, that's really attractive to me. There's clearly some things out there that, uh, you know, I, I, if you listen to the podcast that we do, Tom, I mean, this the virtual reality stuff people are just raving about. And so that seems like there could be, you know, some things coming al along those lines to help us, you know, input and control um, devices. I mean, it would be weird, right, with the big, you know, goggles over our eyes. But, you know, as you go look a ways down the road and people are also looking at control by by eye movement, uh, the Google Glass thing with, the, you know, uh, being able to control things out of glasses, um, even people looking at ways that, you know, you can kind of control devices with your your thoughts and, you know, and, and those sorts of things. So those are probably a ways out, but maybe faster than we think. So there's a lot of stuff out there. Uh, those things, I don't see a lot of lawyers using that in the near future, uh, frankly. But uh, the other things, you know, OneNote and a stylus, uh, uh, voice recognition for commands, uh, more of use of what I call, you know, macros or automated text, uh, keyboard shortcuts, uh, different approaches, different styles of keyboards, so not buying the same keyboard for everybody in the firm, those sorts of things. There's where I, I think you can benefit, and, and I think the benefits come from personalization. And we asked the question at the beginning time whether the the uh, the pen is is mightier than the keyboard. Probably not yet, but in some cases, uh, it's it's starting to get really interesting. You know, I I agree. For me, uh, I think the practicality is what's most important. The ability to get things done. So. It's going to be different for everyone, whether it's a keyboard, whether it's a stylus that's going to help you get your words onto a device. It'll be a matter of what you prefer, what you want to do. But what's good about what we're seeing is that there are a lot of options already out there to choose from, and I'm guessing that there's going to be a lot more coming in the near future. So, so choose one. Choose an option for one of these. Get good at it, but really keep your eyes open. Don't be surprised if something new and better is just around the corner. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsor. 
Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry. Connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high-volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. I'm Tom Lyle. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. The newest version of the Apple TV has just come out, and there's a flurry of interest because of it. Tom and I love TV, frankly, and we think the new TV control devices are especially interesting today. Now, there are a number of them to consider, and cord cutting has become a popular topic. Um, Tom, there are a number of choices out here, not just to Apple TV. What's your current thinking on these devices? Well, the latest version of the Apple TV represents a new way of thinking about cord-cutting devices. When he introduced it, Tim Cook mentioned uh, that the future is apps. And the Apple TV really takes advantage of that. When you set it up, you basically just get a blank screen and an icon for the App Store. You may have some very basic apps that are part of it, but it's almost like opening up a phone uh, for the very first time, an iPhone. Um, But then you can download and install the apps you want, Netflix, Hulu, NFL, Major League Baseball, apps for specific television networks. There's tons of games. You can download uh, apps to view photos, maps, like I said, games, that sort of thing. There's apparently a lot of apps available for Apple TV. It's also supposed to represent a significant move forward in voice commands. Uh, There's a a version of Siri that's a little bit different because this Siri doesn't talk to you. It just listens. Um, But you can ask the Apple TV to... For example, show me the episode of Friends with Brad Pitt. And it's going to search out, and it will find that episode no matter what what, what service it happens to be on, whether it's Netflix or Hulu or whatever service you happen to have installed as an app on your Apple TV. Really, though, I think the Apple TV isn't a ton different in format from others that are out there. The Roku, um, Amazon Fire TV, the Google Chromecast... They all provide similar services and, quite frankly, at somewhat reduced cost. Apple TV may have the most polished experience, but really, if you're looking to cut the cord, I don't think you can go wrong with any of them, frankly. But that's, I think, the real question is, what would you use these for, really? I use them for two main things. I mostly watch movies, and I watch television series that aren't on the major networks. That's my primary usage. Things like Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, they ha- they're coming out with a lot of original programs. It's really very good, and and that's my primary use of tools like this. But I am still not a cord cutter. I still watch more TV than these apps are really able to accommodate. I still like to watch my sports live, and so I'm not quite ready to go there yet. And I think that these services aren't quite there yet. But for me, they really serve as an excellent supplemental entertainment source. Well, I'm just, I became really interested in cord cutting and that, that also we were talking last time about ads and we haven't talked about this time, but we, there's a show that we both watch from time to time called Project Runway. And in the finale, people were logging, you know, like nine minute commercial breaks. Um, 
in the finale show. And it's it's often you're seeing four and five minute commercial breaks, and so you start to say, what what the heck am I am I watching here? Um, if I don't DVR this, and if I'm DVRing it, why do I need live TV in in the cable form? And if you can improve the search thing, so I can find things that I actually want to watch, then maybe I don't really need cable other than the wild card of of live sports. But they're they're starting to be alternatives for that too. And maybe what I want is this sort of a la carte approach to TV that one of these boxes provides. Then I say I'm interested in Apple TV, which is I think the most expensive option because of the potential app platform. And so it seems like a platform buy. But on the other hand, I know that for uh, a very small percentage of the price you're paying for an Apple TV, so I think it's like $30 versus $150, uh, you can get the Chromecast. And I think, Tom, and you might talk about this just a second, but I think you use the Chromecast when you're when you're traveling as a way to, to access TV. But I, I know other people use that as sort of approach an approach. So I, so I looked at it and I said, well, maybe it is time where I just buy a fast internet connection, get rid of cable, um, and, and do the cord cutting and use one of these devices. And maybe it's not here right now, but maybe in a year or two it is. And maybe I just have a, a better experience and it costs me a less uh, to get more of the stuff that I like. So you talk about commercials on Project Runway. I guess in addition to outing me, thank you, Dennis, as a Project Runway fan, I, I will also admit that I like the reality show The Amazing Race. Uh, just for an example, a couple of weeks ago we missed an episode. We tried to go back and watch it. The CBS app requires that you be a subscriber to CBS All Access. I, I, to be able to see that, that episode, I thought, okay, I really want to see it. I'll go ahead and subscribe. It's $5.99 a month, which really, in, 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 in the scheme of things, is not a huge amount of money. Um, but frankly, I would expect that for $5.99 a month, I'm either going to get no ads or very limited ads. Uh, I got full-length commercials throughout the entire show, had to sit through an hour-long show uh, for, the, for, for, for six bucks, which, you know, it's six bucks. But still, if I'm paying, I really expect not to have those kinds of, of, of ads. You know, when it when it comes to cord cutting on the road, I am really still relying on the Roku stick. I think it's the easiest to use right now, and it can connect me to all the services that I need when hotel TV just isn't showing anything that's interesting. And then I think the the other thing that's worth mentioning, because it is a very cool thing about these, is mirroring uh, onto a TV uh, what's on your device. And there are many, many different ways to do that. But the idea that you can, you know, throw picture, you know, throw photos, uh, you know, if, if you're a lawyer that you could, you know, do presentations and stuff off a tablet onto a big screen TV, you know, using these devices is, uh, is another reason to, to explore them. And then as an example of what you might use an Apple TV or similar device for, to make yourself familiar with the notion of something called binge watching, I was watching a show called Longmire on Netflix, which is season four, 10 episodes. The show was on A&E for the first three seasons based on a series of, uh, of novels uh, about a detective uh, in Wyoming uh, by Craig Johnson, a great series of books. Uh, and it's a great show. And it seemed like it was really hitting its stride at the end of the third season. And then A&E canceled it. And they were able to keep 
the actors together, keep the show together, and do a new season on Netflix, and then it's it drops all ten episodes, and then you you can watch them, um, actually without commercials, and instead of having forty three minutes to do a show, an hour show uh, with commercials, um, the shows run about an hour, so the, the stories are better, they're more complex, and and you don't lose the show that that you really liked. So uh, I. I fell right into it. Watched all ten of them. It's a it's a great series. Four seasons. Definitely, uh, if you're looking for for some really interesting uh, television with a little bit of Western flavor, um, I highly recommend the show. Now it's time for our parting shots. That one tip, website, or observation that you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. Well, my parting shot is earbud.fm. I've been talking lately about podcast parting shots, and here's another one. Uh, earbud.fm is from National Public Radio, and it's a an attempt to curate great episodes of popular podcasts. Now, to be fair, a lot of them on here are National Public Radio shows, but they actually go out and they find other podcasts worth listening to, and they divide them up into different categories. So you can have what celebrity choose. Uh, you can just look for things like on beauty or entertainment or news or sports. And it, they will go and not necessarily select um, podcasts in general, but they'll select specific episodes of podcasts that they think um, are interesting or have value for you to listen to. So they're kind of your curated version. And they send out an email each week to let you know what new podcasts happen to be available. I think it's a great uh, a, a great new way to discover podcasts, uh, earbud.fm. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. You can find show notes for this episode at tkmreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network site, where you can find archives of all our previous podcasts. If you'd like to get in touch with us, please email us at tkmreport at gmail.com or send us a tweet. I'm at Tom Mile, and Dennis is at Dennis Kennedy. So until the next podcast, I am Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. Help us out by telling a couple of your friends and colleagues about this podcast. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.